Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, get a special guest to choose a Doctor Who story. I have to then watch and commentate, accentuate the positive, and try to guess what their favourite thing about each episode might be. Hello, Toby, and anyone who's watching or listening to this. Uh, my name's Michael Dennis. I'm a writer and stage manager. Thank you for inviting me in. The story I've chosen for you to watch is The Macra Terror. Well, welcome everybody to part four of the Macra Terror on happy times and places. Well, they may seem like happy times and places, but scratch the surface and there's all sorts of darkness going on. And let's find out... Uh, how that darkness manifests itself in the dark underbelly of this podcast as we select play without narration on the correctly formatted uh, menu screen on the DVD or Blu-ray of the uh, excellent Macroterra uh, animation, which we are not watching. We are watching the Telesnap reconstruction, which I would have chosen anyway, just so that I didn't get distracted by the narration, but uh, my guest Michael Dennis actually finds those uh, preferable because he wants to get as close to watching the episode uh, as possible, and there's obviously artistic licence um, and the fact that everyone's a drawing uh, are taken with uh, the animated version. So, um, uh, if you'd like to imagine this as a series of still pictures that occasionally break into moments of movement but only for the bits where we're particularly grotesque or scary uh, join uh, michael and me uh, as we watch episode four of the macro terror which we're going to do so in and and we're going to do so which we're going to do so is not grammatically correct um uh although if i picked myself up on every well i sometimes do i sometimes want to you know uh, but i know that you'll you'll forgive me because it's you know, it's I've not written. This is not a written speech. Um, why am I even talking about this? Because it's important to me. I, I, I want you to think I, I know my grammar, but um, it doesn't matter. Right. Well, that was a, just a. I might even edit that bit out. Um, I won't because I'll forget because I'll be trying to do it quite quickly. So I'm sorry about this bit. It's just waffle and nonsense. Right. Um, we're going to press select or play or whatever in three, two, one. There is a delay. There is a delay there, isn't there? Um, a friend of mine was watching this saying, oh, yeah, you always say press now, and then there's a delay. Uh, and it's like, well, because there's a delay when you press play. Um, but, yes, you might well get a different delay from the delay that I get, but that cannot be helped. But we're not doing this to split seconds uh, of timing. So we're on episode four of the Macro Terror. Uh, 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 I think uh, uh, an underrated great and i think it's partially because it's yeah it, it's it's it, it's not a story where the, 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 the you know the macro take center stage although actually they've been in it more than i'd kind of uh uh thought last episode last episode it was quite grabby um and isn't this organ music of dudley simpson rather marvelous um it it it, it does it does uh it is it is more it's more of a horrific than a sci-fi uh piece of music for me really and i i like it when you know i've sci-fi is rarely scary horrors those eyes of the macro are great it's almost like you can see the the veins in them um but yeah i like that it's it's not spangly music it's deep dark booming organ well it's not booming organ it's quite high-pitched organ but it's it's phantom of the opera isn't it it's uh uh it's uh, it's grindy and scary. Um, so, what was I going to say about the Macroterra? I had something really important to say about it, and I can't remember what it was. Um, oh, Cheeky, of course. Cheeky. Now, we get a new character in part four. Well, no, an old character. We get a character called Cheeky, who is in episode one apparently can't see her in any of the telesnaps 
Uh, and why is she interesting? Well, she's interesting because in episode one, Cheeky is credited to Sandra Bryant, who plays Kitty in this the same writer, Ian Stuart Black's The War Machines, which also has John Harvey, who we, I'm seeing here as a fissier, who plays Professor Brett. So two War Machiners, two Ian Stuart Blackers, uh, are back in the Macrit area. Um, both it's slightly worse parts actually john harvey gets uh, gets guest billing in uh, in the radio times for the the war machines he he doesn't for this in fact not even gerton clauber does peter jeffrey is the only one that does um uh so slightly down in the pecking order for john harvey even though he's giving a better performance uh, i believe he was one of the i did i read somewhere he was an exponent an exponent an early exponent for the medicinal use of cannabis um uh, I, and I think is he an X the unknown, uh, which Fraser Hines is also in. He might be. He might not be. You can just look at that on uh, on uh, on IMDb. You don't need me to say credits of people in things. Um, but uh, John, why? Am, oh yes. So Sandra Bryant is not credited as cheeky. So there are two cheeky girls. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, in, uh, oh, and Fisher doesn't look unlike Lembotopic. Um, if uh, now that those are all references to me that make absolute sense, but uh, I, but I and I think of them as quite modern cultural references. But I, but I suspect they're all about 125 years old and grandparents now. But the cheeky girls, it doesn't matter. And stop explaining jokes. Does based on cultural references, nobody will have a purchase on. And and if you do go, oh. You know, uh, I'm feeling good because I've got the set. Don't feel good. You, you, you're, you're, you're in 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 tune with the cultural references of a man massively out of time. Uh, and I said, oh, it's a J, J, yeah. I suspect Fraser will have had to have done some some acting with a fiberglass claw there, where he doesn't damage it like like poor Michael Craze does with the axe in episode two. Um, but Carol Keys plays Cheeky in episode. Four, uh, and and I remember in the Doctor Who archive it says you know um, Sandra Bryant asked to be released from her contract. Now I don't know if we've got a piece of paperwork or if that was Andrew Pixley doing uh, just doing guesswork because as I say I'm not sure there's much in the production file if there is one at all. Um, an avalanche of uh, I love that an avalanche of salt and rock cascades over Jamie and the Macro, and you know that that won't have looked as good as it sounds in the final version because a cascade of rock is usually some bits of polystyrene and dust. Uh, but, you know, that's okay. Uh, let us on your imaginary forces work. Uh, I like the slight little televisual uh, uh, interference they've given to the controller's view screen, again, just to make this come alive a little bit. Talking about the reconstruction here, of, of course, but uh, the, the, the view screen is flickering slightly. The telescreen, I'll call it telescreen, which is what it would have been in 1984, is, uh, is, is, is flickering, which just helps sell it to us. These are great pieces of work. And yeah, they, it is a series of different archaeologies to, to get us something presented um, with narration, without narration and in animated form, uh, because everybody has their their special preferences and i'm sure there's somebody going uh yeah but what they should have done they should have colored the black and white picture somebody else going no that's sacrilege because we all have our things that we like and we all get furious when other people don't like them because uh, that's being a doctor who fan uh, i think we're very very well catered for the idea that we've got the three the same story in three different ways to cater to all our different desires on one commercial release uh is uh we're pretty lucky uh, you know most people get whatever's on the shelf you know whacked onto a disc um no actually there are lots of other re um, releases from other companies that are that are that are good and remastered and things like that but i i think we do get pretty good attention um uh but carol keys plays chicky in this episode uh, because sandra bryant has left and you go okay that's that's reasonable sandra bryant maybe gets offered a better part in something else and goes can I go and as Cheeky doesn't actually have any dialogue in episode one, I don't think in episode four either. Um, 
but again there's lots of tipex it might be that she did and then they gave it to suna because she stuck around which in which case johnny morris the estimable doctor who writer who also is a bit of a a research deep diver uh thinks that sandra bryant actually didn't appear in episode one but by which time the roller captions had been done and we know that the roller captions are done in advance um because there is like robert aldis when he appears in a last minute scene in episode one of uh, the dalek invasion of earth they don't have time to redo the the roller captions they're already they've already been sent off to be made so johnny's feeling is that actually they just said to sandra okay you can you can you know go off and do another thing and and we'll we'll you know we won't bother having cheeky in episode one because we can survive without her because she doesn't say anything or if she did say anything her lines have been given to sunar um uh and come episode four we'll just have a different cheeky we'll just have a different cheeky girl and it's carol keys carol keys of course he says of course uh is not carol keys is not a real name carol keys is luann peters oh there's and here she comes in now beautiful carol keys uh who uh, is luann peters who is in the uh the faulty towers episode um uh with uh is it the one with nikki henson yeah she's in uh is it the psychiatrists is it called it's she, she's a beautiful blonde woman in that um and she turns up in frontier in space uh as sheila uh who basically stands there in a scene and doesn't say anything because her lines get cut so she has quite a checkered history with doctor who she comes in and replaces somebody who didn't have any lines and she does have lines in this, but they're not individual lines of dialogue. They're doing bits of singing. Um, so she's, yeah, she's just one of the dancers and singers, one of the, the featured ones at the front. Um, but yeah, so Carol Keys was Carol Keys for a bit, and I think had a single in the charts. Uh, not If not in the charts, uh, had a single. There's a difference between having a single in, and having a single in the charts. Um uh, but yeah, became Lo- Loanne Peters, who's an actress who's who did loads of things, uh, but sa- sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Um, and this is Roger Jerome as the. He rather unfortunately, all the cheerleaders. There are three cheerleaders in this episode, and they're all credited together: Roger Jerome, Ralph Carrigan, and Terry Wright. Um, Ralph Carrigan plays lots of monsters. He's uh, Monoid Two uh, uh, in uh, in. Uh, or Monoid 3, Monoid 2 in the arc. He pops up in... He's a sideman in the invasion, I think. Um, and Terry Wright is is in the Mind Robber as one of the white robots or one of the soldiers. And I've got a feeling his... A relative of his built my first website. I never met him. A, a friend of mine got my website built for me. Um, uh, but anyway, J- Roger Jerome, get, who's, who's who gets far more to do because he gets all the dialogue to talk uh, to, talk to Jamie with um uh is is sort of credited in a lump with the other two um he should he should really get cheerleader leader or something anyway uh he lives in america now uh and i've interviewed him over over skype and he's a jolly chap didn't have much of a a career over here in television but uh went over to america and uh and uh and has continued and still acts still acts to this day uh uh and is a is a jolly fellow and uh email him occasionally um look at Troughton's face look at that dark keen intelligence uh and oh and this is where this is where they get to the the sort of underbelly isn't it and uh, oh no oh no it's yes and and ola is ah no there we are this is the white macra and you're going did they paint the whole macra prop right just white for these shots and that's what we thought I suppose, well, why not? They could sue it out of secrets. It's quite a big job to do, isn't it? And I thought, oh, is that what the white macro was in the Shawcraft thing? No, it wasn't. That was a macro at a different stage. Johnny Morris, uh, I was talking to, the, uh, there's a memo, there's a little memo, there's a little props list that Johnny Morris shoved under my nose. Uh, wrench here, control panel there, whatever. Model macro. Uh, and so I think the macra 
that we see manipulating the control panels, the head macro, the chief macro, which is white, which I love. But again, it's just a tantalizing thing, isn't it? There's another macro, there's a crab, uh, it is a model. So that's a model on a smaller set because it's just seen through the window, so, which is, of course, then easier to do. Uh, that's not the giant macro. Uh, and that's that's something we only discovered in the past couple of months, actually, when when uh, uh, Johnny took another look at you know the various bits of paper that are hanging around, um, which, as I say, I'm pretty sure are scant. Um, so there's so much that we would that we would see uh, were we to uh, were we to find this, and this is where uh, Ola really comes into his own, because. Uh, you know why why have we had this sort of sadistic and he's so pompous he is like a sort of school prefect uh you know he's he, he's going to be as beastly as he possibly can and of course this is very handy because when the pilot who has been wavering because he is a nice and charming and decent person um but you know uh, bad things happen quite often when nice and charming and decent person people do their job properly um uh, we we still need a threat. We still need somebody to stop um, uh, the doctor. Uh, up, say sorry, Ola. Say sorry, pilot. He's so cheeky. It's wonderful. Um, you 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 need somebody still to to stop the the good guys from doing their bit. And of course, you get the impression with Ola uh, that he would not need to be brainwashed in order to enjoy his position and to do his job. Um, uh, and, I, and I talked about that photo that they've got, because I think having seen that, that publicity photo of, of Ola and the pilot, uh, yeah, Gert and Cloud was um, uh, brandishing a sort of iron bar and you got, oh, is there a scene where the macro is sort of bursting in and, and they have to hit them with iron bars? No, it's just literally, it's just, uh, we've got to do a photo shoot here let's be quick um I, oh dennis gocha does a great voice uh, a great job because the voice gets more shrill and more extreme uh i mean i i, I it's it's quite difficult to imagine quite what it is the the, the macro are up to be, behind the scenes sitting there with a the control panel press, pressing buttons with their claws but that's okay um and i remember when the, it's interesting because of course the Again, I hadn't expected the Macro Terror to be a story about mind control, but of course, you you need uh, you need human faces and voices of the threat because the crab's not going to be articulate. Uh, it's not it's not going to have a face, you know. Uh, it, 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 you can't have a conversation with it. Although, of course, the control voice, Dennis Goetcher's voice, is the crab, isn't it? It's uh, so, but 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 having the controller's face in place of the face of the crab just sells that to us and helps us buy it although it's also important there in storytelling terms um uh so and and so so yes of course ben ben actually gets to be the 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 real hero ben ben's humanity shines through So what did they? I'm just trying to remember what they. The nice high angle shot there as well. Um, yeah, Ola is in command, uh, and I, isn't there a, isn't there a brilliant shot of him that comes up where he's absolutely sort of stands straight up and is absolutely full of himself with a smug look of satisfaction on his face. And yeah, the pilot gets to be a bit heroic here. So that's a nice uh, about turn from from Peter Jeffrey, um, but yes, all a all a bad society needs is for nice people to to do a do a bad chop properly and not ask too many questions. So the, yes, that is the model macro that you only see from behind. Yeah, it would be ridiculous to have painted the giant macro and and to have erected a set that you only partially see. So of course it makes absolute sense now to go. Yeah, of course that's a model. Why didn't we think of that? Why didn't we think it was a model? Um, because we didn't know and it didn't occur to us. Um, 
but that's that's part of the whole beauty of this Doctor Who fan experience. It, I mean, there's an argument: are we lucky to have missing episodes because it keeps us interesting? Oh, there's the macros turned round. Yeah, and that's definitely different. That's definitely different. I love the fact it's got. I love the big, the spiny bits of hair coming out of it as well. There's a nice attention to detail in that. I know and Fraser Hines says that the macro was was terrible, uh, and that's where the car thing comes from as well, isn't it? Not just that. Uh, it was the size of a car. It cost the price of a car, I think. And I think Fraser's particularly got his eye on going, it was really expensive and it wasn't very good. Well, he's got his eye on the money, Fraser. Um, <laughs> but, um, and, and Fraser says, it. you know, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't great. But do you know what? Um, I just think having a giant crab in Doctor Who is magnificent. Um, and the fact that it's not always referred to as a crab, which you know adds to the what i'm talking about about what we have to deal with about the the the, the fact that everything is slightly fragmentary and it would probably not quite make sense there's i love that shot of girton clauber uh in all his finery doctor as always has a good line in uh uh in sort of pompous officials, people, and we meet them in everyday life. I, you know, here he's the chief of the guards of a of a monster-ridden colony in everyday life. It's sometimes some gitter works in a sh shop or is a is a traffic official or whatever. But you know, they're they're almost the worst monsters, the human monsters. Uh, at least crabs are quite cool. Uh, but in, it's it's interesting that Ola does not get his comeuppance in this. He did, well, I mean, he gets defeated but it it you know i think in, in in a story today you'd contrive a way for the macra to need to eat him or smash him out of the way because he's an irrelevance or something and, and have him killed just before uh just before our heroes get threatened because it's always exciting when someone gets killed and it ups the threat and if it's somebody that we we don't like either we have our, we go oh we 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 feel justified in enjoying the excitement of seeing somebody killed why are we entertained by watching people die but we are you know the death scenes in doctor who are part of its great appeal what that that's quite a worrying thing <laughs> uh as Troughton got a handkerchief out i love the fact that the doctor has a big handkerchief and i'm sure he's got a big handkerchief there um now that could be from the composites or whatever but uh uh i still liked i'm still sure patrick Troughton. I, I and i love the doc that yes no he's definitely no, he's got a big handkerchief and i love i love the fact that Troughton's doctor has sort of all sorts of different things in his pockets i like my doctor to be scatterbrained uh and uh, you know mad professor and yes ben ben is the hero and you go yeah you've had your moment and you, you, you're it in a fortnight you will be unemployed oh God, isn't that awful? Um, Innes Lloyd treats... Innes Lloyd seems to have been a lovely man and everybody liked him very much. And I've seen, seen an interview with him where he's a very gentlemanly, old-school sort of fella. If he didn't like you as a companion, no ceremony, off you go. Uh, and, and what happened to Dodo to facilitate the entrance of Ben and Polly... Uh, they they fall foul of exactly the same mindset when Jamie comes in and strikes up his obvious rapport uh, with Patrick Troughton. Um, and yeah, oh, Dennis Dennis Goetcher's voice is great. I wonder why they didn't get Graham William uh, Graham uh, Lehman had a perfectly de decent voice, but but uh, 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 but but there's the the there's the sort of shrieked hysteria that. Uh, Dennis Goetcher throws into this. He was a poet as well, Goetcher. Um, uh, is 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 really excellent. It's a great contribution. Um, in, in fact, I remember in uh, in the first edition of Running Through Corridors when I talked about the brilliant control voice, um, the editor Lars put in Graham Lehman, and I was furious because he just read the credits and saw controller Graham Lehman, uh, uh, and. Uh, I was just like I, I wouldn't have no you no uh <laughs> but anyway that's uh <laughs> that's what happens when uh, you write big bits of text and you don't and you don't do that sort of bit yourself the editor's going to come in who's got a much 
broader thing to deal with and just, you know, whacking a name there for clarity. But it's a mistake. That's Maureen Lane as the drum majorette. She pops up in all sorts of things. She's got a line in Superman too. She's an extra in the gunfighters. Uh, so here we are. The colony is is happy again. Uh, uh, and, uh, and yeah, Peter Jeffrey is very, very, very good. And I like the fact that the, the pilot gets to take a chunk of the action uh, in the final episode. Um, the the colony is not going to be quite such a, uh, oh yes, they want to make him the new pilot because the, yes, the, although, the, although, uh, you know, Ola has been disgraced, obviously the pilot, the pilot has still been fired and apparently remains fired. So they want to make the doctor the pilot. So of course there's no way he's going to do this. So he dances his way out, dances his way out. Um, and the, and the credits are going up. Do they go? Do they go over this amount of the action? That's very interesting. Uh, wow. The credits are going. The credits are still going, and it's wow. That's that. Now I hadn't, I hadn't anticipated uh, that the credits would go over that much of the action. But I know that they they're, they're fastidious about their timings and stuff. The uh, the uh, the uh, what are they called the reconstruction guys so that's a lot of credits over a lot of non-closing titles music uh, good work Dean Handley Dean Rose Russ Port for that reconstruction really nice job um, so I have to choose uh, two things i have to choose a thing for episode four and i have to choose an overall thing i think for episode four i have to choose um i think ben's contribution i think the fact that ben the whole thing with ben and, and, and getting taken over i think i think the fact that that vestige of loyalty and humanity remain and that it is ben who saves the day in in that part of the story uh, is is a really Doctor Who thing um, that that no matter how much mind bending goes on and no matter what dark underbelly there is and how much manipulation, if we are told to do bad things, it it does lie deep within us to to grab whatever that little nugget of humanity that will always prosper, that indomitable human spirit that must always remain. And to to make the world right and good, we have to dig deep sometimes and get that out and act upon it, and 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 find that within us. Search for the hero inside yourself, even. Haha. <laughs> um, and Michael Craze does it well, and I like Michael Craze. Um, so it's that. It's it's Ben's. It's 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 Ben doing good. Uh, a mere two weeks before he is sort of dumped without ceremony. Um, extraordinary. Uh, and the thing overall, they've been haunting me all night because they're they're here even on this menu. That noise, those lovely noises. Well, the the, the noise. I'll say the soundtrack. Full stop. That Brian Hodgson's wonderful winds and these really weird howls. The whole, as I say, the whole slightly intangible nature of this story, I find so beguiling. There are so many things I'm not quite sure how they did. I can't quite, quite picture how they pulled off. And yet also because so much of it is familiar with Patrick Troughton and even the actors, you know, they're all actors that we know. And we can see, you know, we've got telesnaps. We know what it sort of looked like. But even the telesnaps of the macro, they're shrouded in darkness and shrouded in uh, smoke, which means that, you know, that will have really helped with selling the image and will probably give kids nightmares, you know. And so the intangibility that we have now is kind of apposite for this story because I think it seems to have been such an intangible thing anyway. But that so that that draws me even more to the audio because that's that is tangible. But that noise, those noises. So the the synthesis of Brian Hodgson's wonderful, spooky special sounds, and Dudley Simpson's haunting, relentless organ for the March of the Crabs. Uh, 
yeah so the sounds of the macrotera and ben that so they're my two things so so for episode four choosing ben uh but you know ben coming good in the end what is michael gonna choose yet again alas i'm going to make a wider point from a single moment but because I know you're going to be trying to guess what I choose, I want to give you a fighting chance. So I'm going to say that my favourite thing from this episode is Jamie dancing. <laughs> Why? Of course. Because it feels like something that only Doctor Who would do, and I adore this programme for those moments. Jamie has spent much of the previous episode and the opening portion of this one evading the, slowly, advancing macra. He's been choking on gas, he's hidden in crevices, he's not been having a good time. But he escapes, he gets away, he runs into the colony, straight into the middle of a dance rehearsal. <laughs> and he's expected to do a dance. A young Highland piper from the 18th century who three months ago was fighting on the Culloden Moors has just escaped from a giant crab or insect and now has to do a dance. And then does. It's very much not what you'd expect to be the conclusion of that sequence. Similarly, the hysteria of the macra is so odd. It might be perfectly logical that the macra have the screaming abdabs, as their lifestyle is dependent on keeping operational a pliant population who don't question multiple no-go zones or the entire economic industrial basis of their society. But that goes against how alien oppressors are usually depicted. In other Doctor Who stories, let alone anywhere else. We're used to shadowy behind-the-scenes forces, the rasping whisper over the glimpse of a hand, claw or appendage, but they're usually in control of themselves, complacent in their mastery of the situation right up until the very moment that the Doctor upsets their plans. Not the macro. They're hysterical from the off, and it's great because it is so weird. I love the slippery nature of their name in this story. No one ever says directly or explicitly, these are macro. That is what they are. The name slips out as something on the edges of common knowledge. Now, it's possible, given the rewritten nature of this serial, that that's an accident to the editing process. But if so, it's a happy one. Serendipitous, if you like. Their big outburst in episode two, once they've shown us the aged control, is bizarre. The shrieking voice. There is no such thing as macra. Macra do not exist. It's too much. And the story is all the better for it. It gives everything that happens subsequently an undertone of nervous tension. That single detail elevates what could have been a more pedestrian story and gives it a, a, gives it a running thread of strangeness. It's an excess. It's an overabundance. It's a wonderfully Doctor Who thing, as is Jamie dancing. <laughs> well, that was two things as well. But yeah, you touched on, uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad because I did, I did give uh, Dennis Goetcher a credit. I'm, I'm feeling remarkably in, 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 inadequate here i think there was more observation uh, uh wrought from that uh, two minute 50 second snippet of michael than i got out of the whole episode uh i was floundering slightly and uh, trying to distract you with facts what i knew um i should have relaxed and let the story speak for itself and i didn't even talk about jamie's dancing bit which i love and i it, it is a sort of you know sort of comedy slightly padded scene but it's but it's I, I remember loving it when i first discovered it and i particularly like the highland fling joke because jamie uses the dance to sort of propel himself out of the situation which i think is very witty uh, and fun and and yes i love the fact that he sort of gamely joins in and that's why jamie is so uh, marvelous and i love the fact that he was probably more scared of doing the dance uh <laughs> and of the you know in episode one of says i'm scared of what the ladies will do to me that than he is of being trapped down a mine shaft with giant crabs um <laughs> uh but that strangeness is also as i say compounded by the whole you know missing business and macro terror bonus from michael my bonus was the soundscape is is i'm sure much more interesting okay so i get to pick a bonus thing which might seem like a liberty given how much i've rabbited on so far however like ben i'm going to enjoy every indulgence you offer me so i've chosen the title sequence ah 
I know it's a matter of accident that the new title sequence happened to feature first on this serial. I think it was hoped to be ready for The Underwater Menace, and the slight rejig of the theme tune doesn't arrive until the following story, underlining how, as and when it all was. But I think there's something fitting about it debuting here. The second Doctor was the great unknown, this step of changing the lead actor not having been taken before. And so both Troughton and the programme itself take their time getting into their groove. The Doctor is distant and gnomic in Power of the Daleks, less so in The Highlanders, but continually playing as someone else, Dr Von Ver, an old woman, an English sentry. He's starting to come into focus in The Underwater Menace, but is still coded as other. Look at him, he ain't normal, is he? says Ben to a guard, who replies, mm, I see what you mean. There's an underlying, an underlying sense throughout these stories, more of what he isn't. William Hartnell and what he is. Interestingly, we're almost there when he meets the Cybermen, the agents of this incarnation, for a second time, though I still think there's a distance there. And it's in this story, the Macra Terror, that the second Doctor steps from the TARDIS fully formed. It's a story almost designed to define the character of the Doctor, a regimented institution, too happy a time and place, where unthinking uniformity is encouraged and dissent suppressed. The Doctor in this story has real agency, latching onto Medoc, believing him, setting him free, sabotaging the mechanisms of the state. That speech from the moon base, there are some corners of the universe which have bred the most terrible things, gets quoted a lot by fans, but that's a bold statement of intent, whereas this story gives a more convincing account of Doctorishness by doing rather than saying. And... Actually, these episodes give us quotes. I'm sure there's no need to be afraid. Well, I think there's no need to be afraid. Oh, come on, let's find out. Strikes me as a much more typically doctorish and second doctorish sentiment. Which is a long way of saying that, though it was accidental, it feels entirely fitting that this is the first time we see the second doctor loom out of the title sequence, because with this story, he is indisputably the doctor. And all that aside, familiarity shouldn't blind us to the fact that isn't the title sequence good. So, that's all I have to say about the Macro Terror. For now. Thank you for inviting me, Toby. It was lovely to be asked. I hope I haven't outstayed my welcome. Actually, I hope you're still there and haven't sambered your way out of the door while I was mid-flow. Uh, my website is michaeldennis.org. If anyone's interested in seeing what I've written to date, uh, there's other stuff going on, but stay tuned, as we used to say. Um, I'm also on Twitter, uh, uh, Michael underscore Dennis. I exist. There is such a thing as me. What an excellent contribution. Uh, and in fact, uh, I, I'm left feeling, as I say, slightly uh, inadequate. Uh, but look, I do these things as live and I say what occurs to me and it's one o'clock in the morning. Uh, I'm getting a bit behind with these, so I needed to do this one. Um, thank God for Michael, I say. Uh, 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 he's totally won uh, uh, and he's right about that title sequence. Bernard Lodge is, is, is an absolute genius and should be in any Doctor Who Hall of Fame. Uh, that Hartle title sequence is wonderful. I still think it's a bit weird that there are Troughton doctor who stories with the hartnell title sequence uh it's, it's a really strange thing uh especially as actually we don't have the the crossover either we've just got a few that every time you watch it, we go god yeah this is a patrick Troughton story uh and this yes he's right this is where that brilliant and the way that the face rips you know melts and rips and falls into those brilliant shapes that i think must have looked like a million dollars in the 1960s and you see a load of uh, you know 60s programs and their title sequences and they're you know they're often just a drawing on a blackboard essentially do you know what i mean or or a really badly inlaid uh, you know f f uh, sl slightly uh, sh shonky font sort of wobbling in uh, the doc 2 title sequence is absolutely magnificent uh, and the, se the the hartnell one is great and then it gives way to this second one which is great and yes i like the fact that michael pointed out and then we actually don't get the the, the proper music till 
till a bit later. And they, even then, they sometimes forget to play the right one. And I, I quite like the fact that, uh, you know, there's something to look into there. And I'm sure somebody else is going, well, when, when, does, when does this piece of music get used? Or when does this piece of music, when does this arrangement get used? Or when does that arrangement get used? Um, because it was so ad hoc. Uh, but I sort of like that. I, I like the fact that, you know, sometimes things were just done and somebody picked the wrong thing off the shelf or whatever. Um, but it would be great if, wouldn't it, if a season five story had the Hartnell title secrets on by mistake and nobody noticed. Um, uh, but yes, uh, that uh, that uh, that there was a lot of insight in there that uh, I'm afraid I didn't really provide much of in part four. Sorry. Um, it's almost as if uh, I am uh, the complete opposite of of the the society in in uh, in, in the Macro Terra is that uh, uh, I look I, I I look like this uh, I come across like there might be something quite interesting uh, happening but uh, actually if you t tear tear that away uh, and, and delve underneath you'll find this there's absolutely nothing of any interest going on whatsoever uh, so thank goodness for Michael who I think entered into that gamely chose a good and challenging story. Uh, because it's one that not much is known about. I do think it's it's a high a, a high quality story um, with with lots to talk about because it does have subtext. It does have an agenda. It is trying to not just tell an adventure story, but but uh, but 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 you know talk about you know society and um, and and controlling things and, uh, and 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 yeah, the dark side of what is apparently happy and cheerful and good and positive and also but also that that idea of the doctor coming in as a as a sort of destructive anarchist and how we feel about that and i do feel different about that as an older person than as i do as a younger person it's just easy to go yeah tear down the state uh doctor who's anarchist that's cool um, whereas as you get older you go yeah but you you do need you know who's going to take the bins out and uh you know that you do you do actually need the rule of law so you know your anarchist stuff is quite good when you're at your pop concerts but uh, frankly when you need to get to work on time and uh, sort out a, a you know a fiscally operational refuse collection system uh, you do have to have some sort of uh, uh, ship of state being guided by uh, some people uh, you, do you know what i mean um, but nonetheless deep down i think we all like somebody there undermining and and the way that Troughton does it is so playful and so pesky um and it's yeah, and because but it's not the story we expect, and it doesn't quite look how we expect, and we haven't got an angle on it quite. So, oh, I hope I get to do this one day, uh, in front of in front of a fully flowing uh, set of pictures. In which case, I will invite Michael back, and we can do this all again with a little bit less guesswork, and perhaps uh, I won't have to blind you with so many actor facts. I'm sorry about that; it was quite heavy on on those well that is what you pay for or, or don't uh, but that's fine so listen um yeah i think it's probably about time this uh, slightly inadequate and disappointing old man was uh it's about at that time some some claw came and pulled him away from the microphone which is uh, uh not performing particularly well into so um I, i'll obey i'll obey goodbye In the cold light of morning, uh, it occurs to me my failing brain didn't cover a couple of things that I think the Macro Terra deserves some uh, credit or points of interest for. The first is the idea of the brainwashing that Medoc undergoes. I think I touched on this, but, but not enough, because I think the whole idea of the colony and its correctional facilities and stuff sort of fades as, uh, you know, it's the threat of the Macro and the gas and setting about defeating them but that whole setup of a, an apparently happy place that requires uh, correction and treatment for dissenters i think that's where the idea of anarchy still uh, appeals to me um because i think i was i was i was too harsh uh, on the concept because i've mellowed towards it as i get older but actually that whole message of well what do we say about a society that says it's happy but that cannot stand dissent that has to punish the people who simply say or think the wrong things now obviously you know crime has to be punished uh, you know um, things that uh, physically or financially through um, 
uh, nefarious means uh, badly affect other people, sure. But the wrong ideas, that's what Medoc is essentially doing. He's saying, well, I think this thing exists. And it turns out he's right, but that's immaterial. I think this thing exists. Uh, and I think there's enough evidence for me to say so. Uh, and he has totally shut down and, in fact, re-educated. Um, and that, I think, is an idea that is still um, very, very relevant today, particularly in terms of Twitter discourse and things like that. And how often do I see, sadly wielded by people from often from my political point of view, I'm a sort of woolly liberal lefty type, um, where people are told to educate yourself. Uh, I think there's nothing more infuriating, I suspect, than uh, if you've worked all your life and have lots of qualifications and have, have been around a bit to be told by a 17-year-old who's read a pamphlet to educate yourself. Um, that said, um, I'm also hugely aware that you're never too old to learn. And uh, listening to my 17-year-old has actually taught me that some of the things I might be set in my ways about um, are wrong. However... That idea that a society needs to shut down discussion uh, and, and there are certain things that can't even be presented uh, because they're just too awful to contemplate. Well, I I'm, I'm think if we start shutting down the discussion, the presentation, the postulation of those in discourse... Uh, then we're on a sticky wicket. And I think the Macro Terror covers that quite well. And and therefore, you know, it covers it as a as a party, a non-partisan point, because it's not about what side you're from. It's about who's wielding the power and saying that people can't say things. And I've seen it happen uh, uh, and to, to be perpetrated by both left and right. So I think it's a more philosophical point, which makes it more interesting because I think you have to sort of accept it and soak it up and go so you know um, you know how far do we go by saying well you, you, you cannot say that and the things I absolutely don't want people to say um, of course I don't want uh, people to say awful terrible things but then where do I draw the line and I don't know and I'm sure there are hypocrisies within my within my worldview, which is why I think it's an interesting point um, and one that is worth bringing up the idea and, and the correction that Medoc undergoes it's very like the prisoner as well isn't it but you know yeah wrong think uh very Orwellian but also very off today and I think I didn't talk about that enough uh in the four episodes especially the fourth episode where I sort of ran out of things to talk and I think I just blathered a bit and the other thing is uh a memory I was gonna say it's a fact it's not it's a memory of a of an incorrect fact. Um, Graham Lehman, of course, playing the controller, is the Time Lord in The Three Doctors who who shows the other Time Lords on the scanner the pictures of the Doctors. And he shows William Hartnell picking a rose and sees Patrick Troughton uh, 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 sort of put his hand to his mouth quizzically. And for years and years, there were rumours, and I think it was even in Doctor Who magazine, that that was a clip from the Macra Terra. I guess because they'd gone, bit of smoke, quarry, uh, out, you know, it's 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 probably some of that stuff where he's, you know, he's running away from the macro or, or running away from the guards or whatever. And it seemed a fairly plausible thought that that was a clip from the macro. Turns out it wasn't at all. It was filmed for the Three Doctors. But for years, that was, you know, that was the only footage of the macro terror uh, that existed. Except, of course, <laughs> the footage from the Mara the macro terror did not exist. There was no such thing as the footage from the macro terror. The footage from the macro terror is a lie, <laughs> uh, etc. Anyway, thought I'd add those to make up for perhaps some of the blather uh, that uh, masqueraded as commentary. Uh, it wasn't one o'clock in the morning. It was actually two o'clock in the morning. Right. Um, sleep, sleep and forget. Sleep, sleep and forget. Sleep and forget. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydoke. My special guest was Michael Dennis, who can be found on Twitter at Michael underscore Dennis. These podcasts would be impossible without the support of patrons, and they include Sydney Wilson, Robin Bland, Ruben Herfindahl, Peter Burns, Peter Harness, Rob Leonard, Stephen Moffat, Richard Straw, Nick Tedston, David, a pair of Davids, whose surnames uh, are remaining redacted. So um, I don't know if that's by choice, Davids, but uh, 
If you don't hear your surname, these Davids are the ones that should have your surname. If you want your surname, let me know. If you're happy without your surname, well, you're happy. Other Davids, you'll hear your surname in due course. But perhaps not this credits because I've been banging on too long. Jenny at Blue Box 99, Paul Carrington, Paul Cook, Peter Crocker, Rob Dawson and John Deere. And the music was by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Oh, lummy, I didn't half go on there. But basically, there are patrons and you can be anonymous or half anonymous uh, or you can have me read your name out like I just did to a few other people there. And that's just one of the perks if you sign up for, well, anything from £3 a month upwards. Although on that £3 and indeed any other tier, you can get a 10% discount if you sign up for a year in advance. That entitles you to advance releases way in advance uh, of uh, the general public. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you're not a patron, the patrons, they've heard this ages and ages ago. I've probably done commentaries now on stories that haven't been made yet. Uh, and uh, you also get advanced releases of the uh, Too Much Information and Indefinable Magic podcasts, but also bonus material, interviews with actors, things like that, uh, other stuff from my archive, and the odd trinket as well. That's at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. A monthly commitment is a lot to ask, but there's also Kofi, where you can, if you've decided you particularly enjoy an instalment, or you just think I look or sound hungry, or you're just in a beneficent mood. However, however you fancy to do it, there's uh, no other commitments. It's at kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. But I know times are tough, so look. Uh, what costs you nothing is to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and to give these five stars and perhaps a couple of little lines of positive review and that just helps me stand out from the crowd and be heard by more people. Believe it or not, I do sometimes not talk about Doctor Who and that's on stage at Excess Malarkey Comedy Club every Tuesday night, 8pm in Manchester and we have a monthly show online, twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey which is available for free around the world. I record the intro to this every time fresh. I should just have a file where it says it, but I don't know, I may as well. And I just wanted to say I'm particularly pleased with the one I did for this episode. So that's only about 100 episodes in. I seem to have got the right content at the right pace and without being sort of repetitive. Guess what my special guest is? I never think quite rolls off the tongue. Anyway, when I did it, I was happy with it. I've not listened back to it. Don't listen back. God, I, I mean, it's... The words I'm about to say will shock you, but I hate the sound of my own voice. I, I know that will probably be a surprise to many. Um, so look, I liked it. So don't don't disabuse me of the notion that it was a it was a classic opening. I think you know when the when the history of this show is written, uh, the the true fans will go. Well, I think the opening to uh, Macritera episode four. Uh, you know, he he got that spot on. And of course, those of other people say, oh, yeah, everyone goes for that. I'm much more of a fan of his opening of the, the Time Monster 4 when he was chewing on a naked bar uh, because, you know, that's what the true fans like. And other people go, not my opening. And then, oh, it'll all start all over again. Oh, dear. <laughs>